have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. If you're visiting with us, we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew's Gospel, the 5th, 6th, and 7th chapter. So we found our place now in verses 19 through 24 of Matthew 6. Buddy Post is probably not a household name to any of you in this room. Buddy Post in the early 80s was a carnival worker, part-time cook, living paycheck to paycheck, sort of getting by. All of that changed in a grand way in 1988 when he won the Pennsylvania State Lottery to the tune of $16.2 million. Generational wealth was given to him in that moment. So you can imagine that everything just got better and better for him. Uh, Chicago Tribune uh, came behind Buddy Post and talked to him about 10 years after he won this generational wealth to kind of ask him, how has it been since you won the lottery and you've begun to receive these installment uh, payments of of $16.2 million? And he told the story that is really a, a story that all of us must heed as we think about wealth at times. He talked about how it did not cure his woes, but really it multiplied his woes. He was convicted of assault after this, went through multiple marriages. His brother was convicted. His brother was convicted of hiring a hitman to kill him. He was successfully sued for a third of his winnings. In the time of the article profile in the Tribune, he was trying to, attempting to auction off 17 future payments that would be valued at $5 million to pay off taxes that he owed, legal fees, failed business ventures. His aspiration in life at that point was to be an ex-winner that was pursuing lawsuits against police departments and judges and lawyers who, in his words, conspired to take his money. And his words are really interesting. As he comes to the end of this profile, he said, I'm just going to stay at home and mind my P's and Q's because money draws flies. Money draws flies. About 2,000 years before Betty Post would say those words, that there, there was another connection that, that Jesus himself made between an improper relationship to money and, and insects that were attracted. Now, notice what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. He says, Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, verse 22. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. In the previous 18 verses, Jesus has given us this insight into three essential disciplines of our Christian faith. One being fasting, one being prayer, and one being giving. Prayer, giving, and fasting. He gives us admonitions. How do you do this? He gives us prohibitions in these previous 18 verses. We don't do it to be applauded by men as we give and as we fast and as we pray, but we rather we do it in secret to be changed by the working of 
of the Holy Spirit. He shifts, Jesus does, in the Sermon on the Mount in verse 19 to this extended section about our relationship to our possessions. And he unifies these verses by three prevailing images that make one point. Three prevailing metaphors that make one point. And that point that Jesus is making by using the metaphors and the images here of earthly and eternal treasure. Number one, the eye is a lamp. Number two, and two masters, God, or money. Number three, the image, these images collectively teach us one lesson. And that lesson is that we as followers of Jesus are called to hold our earthly possessions loosely. That we are called to hold our earthly possessions loosely. Just don't take my word for me for it. Verses 19 through 21, again, notice how Jesus talks through the image of earthly and eternal treasure. And he talks about the temporal nature of our earthly possessions. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, moth or rust to destroy them, where thieves break in and steal. Our possessions should not define us, according to Jesus, because our possessions are not eternal. As a follower of Jesus, we will live with him in eternity and our possessions will not go with us in eternity. All of our possessions are subject to decay, subject to loss, subject to theft, subject to destruction, and subject to deterioration. All of them. Not a matter if, but it's a matter of when. Everything that we own that is valuable to us ultimately is subject to decay, loss, theft, deterioration, and destruction. Many of us are watching. All of you are watching. I mean, it, it's, it's horrendous how quickly life occurs, and you can't do a single thing about it. Record tornadoes that have swept through the Midwest and destruction that has been left behind that we see, and we grieve with those people that are they're picking up the rubble of life after that. We, we see record flooding that is occurring, historic flooding. You have to go back to 1920 to get to the record flooding and, and the expansion of the population in places like Mississippi and Oklahoma and Arkansas and Missouri. And there's not a single thing that can be done in that moment. The realization that, that everything that is valuable to us, we've got to put in boxes and we've got to put them in vehicles and get out of town because we cannot prevent this from happening. Now, we can sit in, in our uh, pews this morning and, and feel that we're immune to this, but, but we are not. It's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when. It might not be from flood. It might not be from tornado, but none of us will take our stuff with us. We just don't. And it's important for us to understand that lesson. I, I remember vividly as a young pastor, first church I was pastoring, the floodwaters of Katrina blew through and coming back to our home that had five feet of water in it, coming back to our church members, 95% of them lost the majority of their possessions and, and sitting with family members like the Averys that had lived in the same house for over 50 years, raised their children in this house and it was completely gutted. Yes, they were able to salvage this or salvage that, but you know what happens when five feet of water hits your house? All of your stuff gets piled up on the curb. All of it. From clothes to furniture, it's all there. And I remember talking to him, and I, as the pastor, 23 years old, trying to provide comfort to someone, well, I should have known that he would be the one that would be comforting me by giving me an eternal perspective because he looked at all that was left of all that he loved, and he said, you know, David, I've lost the majority of the things that I own, but I haven't lost anything of eternal value. And he's right. 
That's an extreme example, but this is what Jesus is getting here. He is saying, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth because these are not eternal in nature, but rather, verse 20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. This is an investment that has a sure return because it's not subject to decay, loss, theft, destruction, or deterioration. In verse 21, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. We misread, I think we sort of underinterpret this passage. It's really the crux of the argument from verses 19 through 24. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And we hear this as a heart is something you give away. You give your heart to someone. It's your affections. It's your emotions. We choose to love someone. And in fifth grade social studies class, we write a little note to someone and say, will you be my girlfriend? Will you be my boyfriend? And we're giving our heart away in that kind of setting. Well, this is not what Jesus is talking about here. A heart for, for the Jewish person was the very essence of them. It, it, is, it is the very personification of who this person is. So what Jesus is saying here is what you value is who you are. You can't quarantine this away. You, you can't say, I am a very, very, very generous person and, and value closed hands holding on your possessions. A great friend of mine who is now with the Lord in heaven was a longtime accountant in the community that I pastored in North Mississippi. We'd oftentimes eat lunch every month and got to have a lot of uh, conversations, learn much from, from Mr. Billy. And he told me one time, he said, David, you know, as a pastor, you feel that you really get to know people. And you do, he would say. He said, you, would, you do. You're with them in the difficult times, at funerals and at loss and the hospitals, and unexpected tragedies that occur. You're with them at the high points of weddings and baptisms and confessions of faith. And you're with them in those uh, trying times in the midst of counseling. And, and so certainly you get insight into a person. But he said, you know who really gets to know a person? You know who really knows who a person is? Well, it's me, an accountant. I, I, know, I know who a person is. And I think he's right. We could say all we want to, but, but our, our bank accounts, they, they say who we are. Our credit card statements say who we are. Our tax returns say who we are. This is what Jesus is getting here. Our earthly or eternal treasure, which one will it be for us? Now notice he moves to the second image. It's the image of the eye as a lamp in verses 22 through 23. And the image of the eye as a lamp, a lamp does what? What well, shines and gives off light. It's an interesting image here because you have to go back 2,000 years to understand the theory of sight that Jesus would have been operating from. And that is this, that rays would shine through the eye and would literally touch what they see. And that's how vision was perceived to be understood at that time here. And the point of Jesus' image here is that one's light or darkness comes from within. It's, it's who they are. So darkness comes forth or light shines forth. The image in verse 22 is that word healthy. The word uh, in verse 23 is unhealthy. Do you know how those words could be translated? Verse 22, healthy can be translated generous. Verse 23, unhealthy can be translated stingy. So the healthy person, Jesus is saying, is the generous person. 
the healthy person is the generous person. The, the unhealthy person, the person living in darkness, is the stingy, greedy person. I, I love, you got to go back sort of to eighth grade, ninth grade, whenever the first time you're introduced to, to Dickens and A Christmas Carol, and you, you have this personification of greed and stinginess. The way that Dickens introduces us to Ebenezer Scrooge isn't by his choice, but it is by the very essence of who he was. And notice the words that he says, oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone. Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner, hard and sharp as flint from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire, secret, self-contained, and solitary as an oyster. But what, what Dickens understood is, is that Scrooge, at the essence of himself, was that person, that that is who he was, and it thoroughly contained him in that moment of greed. It was, it was his life in that moment. And so Jesus is saying, too, for us that the eye is a lamp, that there are earthly or eternal treasures here. And he moves it and he combines these images into the final image of verse 24, which is the image of two masters. It's a clear image, the servant and the master. You cannot serve two masters. You, you cannot worship God and then worship your possessions. It is antithetical. It's not both and. It's either or. The first of the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20 says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And I doubt any of us in this room feel temptation to bow down to the sun gods. I, I doubt that any of us in this room feel the temptation to, to bow down to Babylonian creation myths, but this is what Jesus is saying, is that we can worship the gifts instead of the giver. That, that we can be possessed by our possessions. And without even realizing it, we, we bow at the altar of our stuff. We bow at the altar of more, 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 and the accumulation and the security. We end up, like Scrooge, we end up being people under the posture of closed hands. We take our stuff and we say that the ultimate goal in life is to get as much as we can and to hold it as close as we can to ourselves. And so we pull it in and we pull it in and we pull it in. And what Jesus is saying is, is ultimately we are worshiping our possessions and we're possessed by them. Now, what do we do with a passage like this? I mean, this cuts close. I mean, I've preached this two times now, and, and nobody says amen in these sermons ever here. I mean, it's just as lonely as you possibly can be, and I get to do this three times. Everybody just stares at me, stares at me three times. I get to talk about this. Well, one thing that we need to do is we need to understand that the whole counsel of God teaches us that we don't need to demonize wealth. We don't need to demonize our possessions by any stretch of the imagination. All of us, we live in homes and we drive cars and we have bank accounts and vacations, retirement, all these types of things. And, and when we understand the whole counsel of God here, we don't need to take this out of context. Certainly, this would, uh, would, would need to be interpreted in light of other passages that talk about the wisdom of saving Certainly Jesus in no way is contradicting Proverbs 6, 6 that applauds the ant for storing in the uh, summer food for, for the winter. There, there's nothing in this passage that's contradicting Paul saying to Timothy as he chods the believer that doesn't provide for his family. Certainly we're created in the image of God in the Imago Dei. Uh, it is an image of beauty. It's an image of creativity. And so there is a love for beauty. There is 
a love for creation that is valuable and, and we don't need to run from that. So our homes and our vehicles and art and jewelry and clothing, these kinds of things aren't things that we need to always feel this overwhelming sense of guilt about. That is not what God's word teaches in this passage nor in the whole counsel of God. But what his word is clear about is that when we take the gifts that he has given us and, they, and we make them all about ourselves, that's, that's the key. John Stott, the great Anglican rector who is now with the Lord, he said that really the key to understanding this passage is found in the pronoun in verse 19 and then repeated in verse 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth. And we're going to come to the repetition, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The, the idea is, is the person in verse 19 who only sees resources as theirs. And the only goal of their resources is to get more and more and more. And we're never satisfied. We're always yearning for more and more and more. And there's this restless feeling that if we just got the right fill in the blank, then we would finally be secure. Then we would finally live up to whatever standard we feel that we need to. So there's always this searching and yearning and going and striving, and we're never content. And Jesus is condemning that, especially that hard-heartedness of clutching to our resources while we ignore the lost and the poor and the hurting. And instead of seeing our treasure as a catalyst for blessing, our resources become an idol that is worshipped. And this is what Jesus is condemning. So how do we move from this place where we hold our possessions loosely? What is the antidote to that type of greed? What is the antidote to that? And Jesus tells us in this passage, especially verse 20, that we are called to invest in the eternal by giving. We're called to store up treasure in heaven. We are called to invest in the eternal by giving away a portion of our resources that is entrusted to us, resources entrusted to us, to causes that promote the spread of the gospel and the making of disciples. Three points, not only from this passage, but from the whole counsel of God that help us think about what does it mean to store up treasure on earth? Well, the first point, I want to say a foundational when we think about resources and when we think about money, we, we oftentimes we get very fixated with, with percentages and we get very fixated with budgets. But if we want to just back up to have a proper understanding of our possessions, we must first realize that all that we have is a gift. That, that all that we have is a gift. James chapter 1, verse 17 reads, every good, and, every good gift and every perfect gift is from where? From your intellect, doesn't say it. From your ingenuity, it doesn't say it. From your hard work and self-discipline, it doesn't say it. That every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, giving, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. That life is a gift. Your health is a gift. Every breath that we have is a gift. The salvation that we have, it is not by our works, but it is gift. So what you have in the job that you have, even if it's a temporary job on the way to the final destination of your career, it is a gift to you that all that you have, you, from your homes to your vehicles to the resources, it is ultimately his and not ours. 
And this is important for us to understand, that we will always store up treasure on earth when we get the pronoun wrong, when we think that it is our money and we forget that it is his. We don't give our resources to God's work because they're not ours. We are all stewards and everything that we have is entrusted to us and we are temporary stewards of what he's entrusted to us. Everything's gift. Second, realize that all you own is temporary. Some of you realize this. All of us need to be reminded of this, that everything that we own is temporary. You remember that bumper sticker, sort of a slogan that sort of had the height of 90s accumulation at the very heart of it. He who dies with the most toys, what, wins. And it really is, is, it is the Madison Avenue advertising slogan that is, is the stream that much of our culture wants to pull us into. It's the accumulation of more and more and more. But this is, this is the truth. He or she who dies with the most toys dies. It, it, doesn't make, it doesn't make a lick of difference. And he with the most toys and she with the most toys They don't take any of their toys with them. Not a single one. I don't mean this as crude. I mean this as loving and truthful. But eventually, someone will come behind every one of us in this room and throw away, give away, or sell most of the stuff that we think we can't live without. It's just the truth. I had one of our church members come up to me after I preached this message and said, you know something, David? Me and my wife, we sat down and we had four boxes that we knew our children would want everything out of. You know, we, we gathered all the stuff. We put four boxes, all of the things that we knew they could not live without. And they went through, got all the kids together. They went through all four of those boxes and they took four pictures each out of all the boxes. Listen, I know there are a lot of things that are sentimental. And I know that we want to pass those things down. Don't misunderstand me. But in the end, this is a simple fact. We don't take anything with us into heaven. We just simply don't. So we realize that all that we have is a gift. We realize that all that we own is temporary. And finally, we we store up treasure in heaven by making giving a priority on earth. We store up treasure in heaven by making giving a priority on earth. Yes, we give of our time. Yes, we give of our talents. But this is not what Jesus is talking about in this passage. He, he is talking about giving of our treasure. He is talking about giving to uh, uh, first fruit gifts to, to a local church, to giving of tithes and offerings that we, we give our tithe to the storehouse from Malachi, We give to a church, like a church like Dawson, that for over 95 years has been committed to preaching God's word and making a difference not only locally but globally. We give of our offerings to be able to support, to be able to praise God for the support of things like Go Love Tell. Five years, five million dollars, five projects locally and globally, and to see the eternal fruit that that is being sown through that faithful giving. That, That is the privilege that we have to be able to be a part of. 
colleges and seminaries and prison ministries and missionaries and orphan care ministries. And we could just go on and on and on and on. And the only way they exist is through individuals who realize that all they have is a gift and they've been entrusted with resources and that they are to, what, invest those resources into things that make an eternal difference. So my question is, what kind of investment plan do you have? What, what kind of investment plan? I'm not talking about dividends that pay out two years from now or five years from now, but what kind of dividends are we sowing that have eternal stakes at hand? One of the great privileges is, is to be able to give. One of the things that we want to teach our boys, and sometimes it's difficult to, to teach them, is that when they receive anything, that they're going to give first, save second, and spend last. I tell you, my, my seven-year-old is having some time with the, the, the ordering of that right there. So even yesterday, the tang, they, they, they were making a killing off the tang table that they set up yesterday. And very conveniently, they did not have change to give to anyone for their 25-cent tang. That is a good business model. When you don't have change, you're, you're given a dollar and you're given $5 for, for, for what's less than 25. They, they advertised 25-cent tang, but they made a killing yesterday. And so even yesterday, my 7-year-old, I was having to say, what do we do? We give, we save, and we spend. And we talk through that. Well, for all of us as adults, we, we have to we have to be reminded that that is not a duty. That is not even a, a, a guilt type of responsibility. It is a privilege. It, it is a privilege. And it's only a privilege when we realize that everything that we have is gift. And that it's all his. And at the end of the day, everything on earth goes back into a box. And we don't take it with us. So I want you to know that when you give, it makes a difference. And it makes a difference in a million ways, not only locally, but globally. And I just want you to see and feel some of the ways that makes a difference. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We are often possessed by our possessions. We are often tempted to worship the gifts instead of the God who gives them. How are you holding your possessions? Do you have a loose grip acknowledging that all that we have is a gift from God? God has generously given to us. Are we giving generously in obedience and gratitude? Are we being good stewards of all that he has entrusted to us? Hold your possessions loosely. Invest in eternal investments by giving generously. May we be found faithful to give generously as God has given to us.
Gracious God, we come to you asking that you would help us to be found faithful, that you would help us move in steps of obedience. I pray for that individual that's here today that that consistent and generous giving is not a part of their life and there is a temptation to leave here this morning overwhelmed by guilt, but let us move one step in the right direction toward where you would have us to be. Help us to commit today, to, to make changes, maybe even in our family budget, in our family plans to be able to prioritize giving, to be able to teach that not only to our children, but to be able to realize at our very heart that that you meant that you love a cheerful giver. that we are more blessed to give than to receive. And we realize that and we want to live into that. So help us take a step in obedience, whatever that step might look like today. Maybe it's a step of, of, of sitting down and to really looking at the very hard numbers of our budget. Maybe it's a step to be able to give above and beyond our tithe. Whatever it might be, may you help us move forward that we would store up treasures, not here on earth, but in heaven. Thank you for the great privilege. It's in your name we pray. Amen.